Luke 10 verses 1 to 21. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom has of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on a day for Sodom as it is for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For it, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, they would have been repented long ago, sitting in a sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you re listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me, him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice in the spirits that submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Whoa, let's hear it for William. Oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I bet he didn't expect that when he said, yeah, I'll read next Sunday. Um, so, William, if you're watching, or you're probably out there, well done, thank you. And uh, hello, my name is Guy. It's great to be with you. It's great to have the opportunity to speak with you today. And if you're watching online, whenever you're watching this, wherever you're watching this, it's great to have you along. So, this morning, uh, I would like to talk to you about three things. Firstly, I'd like to talk about what you're really doing when you do what you do. Then I'm going to talk about the violence of the Old Testament. 
and what it's like when we come up against the spiritual forces that oppose the work of God. I think that's quite an ambitious agenda for the day. I hope you're looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, good. Let's talk about the violence of the Old Testament, you're thinking. That's cool. Okay. So, what are you really doing when you do what you do? Um, William just read to us from this passage from Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start by just going back a step to what's described in Luke chapter 9 and also in Matthew uh, chapter 10 in the book of Matthew. So in Luke chapter 9 and in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus also gathers together a group of his followers, but it's a much smaller group. It's the group of 12, his immediate followers, the ones who he's, he's with every day, all the time, pouring into them. And he gives them a brief which is very similar to the one that William has just read to us today, except it has one key difference. Because when he talks to the 12, he says, I want you guys to go out and talk to and meet with and engage with a very specific people group. I want you to go to the Jewish communities. I don't want you to go to Samaria and all the guys in Samaria. I don't want you to go to the Gentile, to the non-Jews. I want you to go to the Jewish communities. And he sends them out with a similar brief to, in the authority given to them by Jesus, to pray for the sick and see them healed, to comfort the brokenhearted, to actually just do life with the people they meet around the meal table, in their homes. And through that, through how they live and who they are, reveal what it's like when you come across Jesus. Um, and that's their brief. And here in this passage that William has read to us in Luke chapter 10, we see many similarities in the brief, but of course this one big difference, that he talks to a much bigger group of people, the 72. In some translations it's 70, 70, 72. And that bigger group of people represents the bigger community of the followers of Jesus, all the followers of Jesus, those people that know him and have accepted him. And the call is to all of them to go to all the towns and villages, to go to every people group where Jesus is going to go. And that, of course, is the call that he gives us, that actually it's to all of you and me comes the call, go. And as Alan was saying last week, go, make me, Jesus, your priority. Keep your eyes fixed on me and see what I will do through you. Because you are really, really important. You matter. Because Jesus has chosen you as he chose the 72. As I said, that as you go out and do what you do, and as I look out, through the bright lights. I see people in industry. I see homemakers and people who are building families. I see people in the private sector. I see people that have been in the police service. I people, see people from all walks of life, and that's great. But of course, what you're really doing when you do what you do and be a good teacher, be a great police officer, be a great care worker, we need all that. But as you do what you do, of course, you're also doing something else. You are Jesus' ambassador. When people look at you and the way you live your life, that is the way that Jesus has chosen to show himself to everyone. The call that William's read to us. 
Oh, and by the way, when the 72 come back, they're buzzing. I mean, it works. It works. I can't see whether you're smiling or not, but it's, it's good news, actually. <laughs> they're absolutely buzzing, saying, my goodness me, Jesus, you sent us out, and we did what you told us to do, and stuff happened. It's brilliant as it's profound as it's simple, going and do, doing life with people. Because as William has read to us, it's round the meal table, it's in people's homes, it's just being you being who you are and through the choices you make, through what you say, sometimes what you don't say, what you do and sometimes what you don't do, how you use what God has given you, we've talked about that before, what you've got in your hands, your resources, your time, your money, your energy, through all that it will be inevitable that people will see what it's like when Jesus is in somebody's life. You matter. You really matter. Now, from that call, I am just going to read four verses in amongst all those many verses that William, well done, William, read to us. I'm going to read four verses, verses 8 to 12, because I think they, in this call, they get at something really important about the character of God. So here goes. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, here's the thing. Right, I, I was saying at the four last, last Sunday that... God is the God of consent. He looks for willing partners. We were talking about prayer. He looks for willing partners. And when willing partners come together with God in prayer and in doing life, he moves and stuff happens. And the 72's joy when they came back shows that. People got healed, people got saved, lives were transformed. Um, and what we see here is this God of consent, this God of love who then actually gives space for others to be others. He gives space for you to be you, your personality, me to be me, and for others with all the variety of perspective and attitude on li uh, about life that that brings. And then as we've seen, he gives people freedom. He gives you and I freedom to make our choices. He gives us freedom. And here we have this God of consent doing just that. And as I said last week, you know, if you want to look, if you want to see what the character of God looks like, then you look at Jesus. Jesus is the one perfect reflection, the one perfect example we have of what God looks like. You look at Jesus, you see the character of God. If you want to see the character of God, you look at Jesus. And here we have that being worked out here. People are free to choose as the kingdom of God is brought near to them. But people are free to choose and some will get it, and some will not. It's in the passages I've just read. And then we get to this bit where Jesus points us in this world, points us back to the Old Testament scriptures, when he mentions what happens in this town called Sodom. And actually in Matthew chapter 10, which I referenced earlier, 
when he calls the 12 and he sends them out to the Jewish communities. He refers to them as the lost, the lost, the lost people of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. He points us back to the life and events of what to we refer as as the Old Testament. Obviously, when Jesus was talking, Jesus is the New Testament, so there wasn't any Old Testament, but it was just the Scriptures. Um, but Jesus points us back to the, to the Old Testament Scriptures. So here we've got, and we've just sung about some good, good father, a good, good father. But I've had conversations with people when they say to me, listen, guy, I hear all this stuff that you know, God of consent, and he gives space for others, and, and, and he gives us freedom of choice. But then I see these pointers back to some of the events of the Old Testament. And, I mean, guy, Matt, there are, there are people getting... It's mayhem. It's may, people are getting slaughtered all over the place in the name of God. I mean, some serious stuff is going... It's so violent. And you only have to spend three minutes reading the Old Testament. And, and it, it, geez, like an, it's worse than an 18 movie. I mean, there's carnage out there. So what's going on? We sing about a good, good father. We have this God of grace. What's going on? So, here's five minutes. Strap yourselves in. I'm just going to cover off the whole of the Old Testament and the question of violence. But I'm sure we can do this. I think you're up for it. Well, here's the thing. And I think this is important because it speaks to the character of God. The message of God comes in cultural packaging. It always will do because it comes through people, the writers of the scriptures. It come, the message of God comes in cultural packaging. We have to look in that cultural packaging to find the message of Jesus. Now, my perspective, and I just hope you find this helpful, it may not be your perspective, it doesn't matter. We're here to wrestle with the word of God, with scriptures. My perspective, it's helpful to look at the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of Jesus. Because as I said, if you want to see the character of God, you look at Jesus, the one perfect example we've had. You look at Jesus, you find the character of God. So I tend to find it helpful if we look at these Old Testament writings through the lens of Jesus. And look, there's a lot of ugly stuff when you look at what goes on in a lot of the events of the Old Testament. There's ugly stuff. But I think that is revealing the ugliness of mankind. That's on the surface, the ugliness of mankind. And when you look below the surface, you can find there is reward for digging and patiently looking and reflecting, and you find the faithfulness and the forgiveness and the joy of God. But I said, I find it helpful to look at this through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus constantly refers us back to the Old Testament scriptures. But in doing so, he also invites us to look at them differently. He, look, he invites us to look at them differently and to unpack that cultural packaging. What do I mean by that? How many times in the New Testament scriptures, in the time of Jesus, do you hear Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, you know, effectively, if you get bullied, whether it's individually, whether it's as a people group or as a nation, go and find a bigger bully to bully the bully. You've heard it said. I say, love your enemies. 
Forgive your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Go the extra mile for your enemies. In effect, you remember that situation when the woman is caught in an intimate relationship outside the covenant of marriage? She's brought before Jesus, and the people say, the, old, the scriptures, for us, the Old Testament scriptures, it's clear she's broken the law. She should be stoned to death. In effect, Jesus says, you've heard it said. He doesn't get into an argument about what the, scripture, the Old Testament scriptures said. He simply says, yeah, any one of you who's led a perfect life, who's lived your life completely in the will and the purpose of Jesus and never done anything wrong, lived without sin, you cast the first stone. Of course, none of them do. So Jesus turns around to the woman and says, I don't condemn you either. Go. And he encourages her to, to live a different life. So Jesus himself refers us to these Old Testament scriptures, but invites us to look at them differently, to look below the surface to see what God is really saying and the true character of God. And I see, if you could call it attention, but I see this most clearly in what happened on the cross itself. When Jesus was crucified, what happened? It was ugly. On the surface, it was ugly. It was violent. It was bloody. There was suffering. There was pain. It was horrible. When I look at that, do I see the ugliness of God? No, I don't. I see the ugliness of man. I see what happened when God came in person and the things he said and the things he did didn't fit with the God that the people wanted to see. It didn't fit with their assumptions. It didn't fit with what they wanted. So they rejected him. And in rejecting him, they defaulted to the cultural packaging of the day. And they did what they did to people who they regarded as the lowest of the low, and they rejected. They crucified him. But what was going on below the surface? I see self-sacrifice, unconditional love. I see just the distance God will travel to be in a personal relationship with you and with me. It's there on the cross. This ugliness, but below the surface there's something else going on. So here's two minutes to put that in context, a broad sweep across the whole of the Old Testament. Those of you who've studied theology will be horrified by what I'm about to do, but talk to me afterwards. Practice grace. So, <laughs> so this is how I see the Old Testament. God has this great idea. I am going to reveal myself to a people group. I am going to bless that people group, the children of Israel, and through that blessing, the way they live their lives will be a blessing to every other people group and nation, and I will reveal myself to all people. That was the plan. What you see running pretty much throughout the whole of the Old Testament, I would say, is very little of God's ideal will. There is very little of God's ideal will revealed in the Old Testament. What you really do see is a continuous story of God's people, who I've just described, God's people not getting it. Not getting it. And Jesus continually giving them more opportunities to get it. But they don't get it. We want a king. We want a king. Cultural packaging. It's not in my plan for you, says God. We want a king. It's really not in my plan for you. We want a king. Okay, have a king. What then happens? 
chapter after chapter, generation after generation of rubbish kings behaving really badly, and it gets violent and it gets destructive. There are moments when you see people who do put, as Alan said, make God their priority, keep their eyes fixed on God. But generally speaking, it's mayhem. And so it goes. And then, I'm going to paraphrase God in a minute, please forgive me. And then I see God having a conversation with himself that goes something like this. You know, sometimes if you want to get something done, you just have to do it yourself. I'm going to come in person. I'm going to come in person. And it brings us right back where we started in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus, God has come in person, says to you and says to me, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And as you let me live in you, you will reveal what I am like to all your people groups and all your communities. And that's where we join the story in Luke chapter 10. So I'm just going to finish, because I said there was three things. We've talked about what's really going on when you do what you do. A perspective on how we can look at the violence of the Old Testament and how we get under the surface of that. And then there's this thing that in, I think it's in the passage that William read to us, around about verse 19:20, it talks about how or the, the power of the enemy was overcome, those spiritual forces that opposed the work of God. So here, gonna, we have the physical world we live in, all this stuff, physical world, you know about that. You've heard me talk before about we have our soul life, what we think what we feel, our emotions, our will, how we make decisions. And then there is the spiritual realm. And in that spiritual realm, the enemy, and Jesus is very clear about this, the enemy has some power. The enemy has some power. We need to understand that. The reason sometimes people say no to Jesus, sometimes it's because they willfully make, they just don't get it. But sometimes there are other reasons too. The enemy has some power. But then... As William read to us, Jesus is very clear. He says, I give you authority over the power of the enemy. Well, what does that really look like? Well, there are many analogies. You may have come across this one before, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves. If you see a truck, a 40-ton truck coming down the road, that's got power. That's got power. If a police officer dressed in their uniform steps out into the road and raises their hand... That authority speaks to the power and that truck driver will slow that truck down and will stop. That is authority speaking to power. And that is the authority that we have been given in Jesus over the power of the enemy. But there is one other thing about authority. There is no point in having authority if you don't exercise it. The truck doesn't stop unless the police officer steps out in the road and raises their hand and exercises the authority. So my encouragement to you is, and Jesus is very gracious because he tells us what to do about this, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Protect us, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Pray. Take the words of Scripture. Take the authority that Jesus has given you and pray protection over yourself, over your families, over your friends, over your communities. Because as the 72 said, when they came back and they were buzzing, those powers that reigns against 
what Jesus wants to do. They cannot stand. They went. We prayed. The sick got healed. We prayed. Lives were changed. So be aware, in conclusion, when you're doing what you're doing, you're so much more than the skills that you have. You are how people will come to see what it's like to know Jesus. Remember the cultural packaging with which the message of Jesus comes. Look below the surface and look at it through the eyes of Jesus. You may find that helpful. And exercise the authority that you've been given. You have nothing to worry about. I hope you found that helpful. Shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you you show us the way. We thank you that we can still look to you, we can learn through the scriptures, we can learn through living and letting you be in our lives. I pray as we just take a moment of quiet, I pray that you'll take these words and for each person here, with all the different circumstances that are represented by all of you sitting here. I pray that you'll simply take what we've discussed, what we've thought about, and Father, you'll make it real for each individual here in their particular circumstances. Help us, Father, as Alan taught us last week, help us to make you our priority. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to remember the call that when we go about doing what we do, you're with us and we're also your ambassadors. I pray that you'll take our lives and make them fruitful and help other people to see what it's like to know. Amen.